my name is Adam Martin. I'm an alcoholic. Yeah. Uh, due to God, AA, and sponsorship, I've been uh, sober since April 29, 2013. I want to thank Susan and Cody for coordinating and the committee for having this conference and inviting Jeff and I to come down and Jeff uh, riding back and forth yesterday and today. Uh, <laughs> well, I'm, you know, me, I've been going to AA, you know, probably since 2000, been sober since 2013, went to a lot of, uh, I feel like you're the warden, you know, <laughs> walking up here. <laughs> um, I, uh, uh, to me, like, the speaker, the way the speakers usually were broke down was like Friday night was like the entertaining one, Saturday night was like the depth and weight kind of entertaining, and then Sunday was like the spiritual kind of speaker and like I think of like Tom Brady Jr. and you know Southern Bat like I'm not Tom Brady Jr. just so you know and I'm not <laughs> if you skip church to come here for a spiritual talk I'm sorry so um, <clears throat> uh, so I uh, I sobered up in uh, 2013 prior to that um, uh, growing up my mom my mom and dad were in the military so I was kind of an army brat kind of all over the place uh, they, I wish that was just the story. My mom and dad met in treatment, <laughs> so while they were in the military, so my dad was there for drinking, my mom was there for drugs, so I mean, I was pretty much screwed from the start. They, they met in treatment and probably conceived me there, and um, they were like, this is a really good idea, you know, but but they, I mean, they, my dad ended up going to AA. My mom kind of just got busy with work, and then I never really saw her drink or anything until after she retired. But my dad went to um, Moorhead Thursday night. He was kind of a member there and uh, sponsored, uh, you know, off and on over the years over uh, by a guy named Chuck. And, uh, and I'd go to, I was the kid at the meetings that was kind of like super ADHD up and down, talking during the meeting and stuff. Probably, you know, uh, made a lot of people upset. Uh, but there were always like a group of women that were at the meeting that kind of like mother hen me and would like take care of me so my dad could hear the message. And, um, and so my first example of Alcoholics Anonymous was my dad. And uh, what I remember is that like when he wasn't going to AA, he was, I never really saw him. Like he would just like disappear for weeks at a time. And then uh, when I did see him, he was like drunk, passed out, naked on the couch. And my mom would like, <clears throat> we had this staircase by the couch and he'd be passed out naked with a beer and a cigarette. And, and my mom would like try to cover my eyes and she'd be like, oh, he just, he's sick or whatever. And then my dad would like wake up. He'd be like, woman, I'm not sick. <laughs> I party like a rock star last night. And I'm like, got one eye open. I was like, he's amazing. <laughs> it's like, and that's like really the only memory I had of like him drinking. And then when he sobered up for like a year and he started coming to like all my baseball games and I was in Cub Scouts and he would come to Cub Scouts with me and stuff. And, uh, and he was just like really involved. And I didn't know that AA was like having that. I just thought, I just knew he wasn't drinking, you know. And what happened uh, to him, like the last time I really saw him until he uh, passed away like 10 years ago was uh, I was in 
like third grade and we were at Cub Scouts and the night before the Pinewood Derby car race, you know, and I didn't have anything made. And my dad was a, he was a, he was a custodian or like a janitor for a school. And there's like this wood shop over in like South uh, Fargo over by like the Clara Barton district or whatever. <clears throat> and, there, and so my dad like had connections in this underworld wood making like, you know, and <laughs> he took me to this like this shop and then like we made it that night and painted it black, yellow lightning streak on it, put the weights on it. And then the next day we uh, like went to do the races and I started like beating everybody. Right. And my dad was there and he was watching and that was all I really cared about. I was like him watching me win. That's, you know, and and then I lost and then I just like started crying like a third grader, you know, like snot and water down my face. And and uh, and then my dad, you know, he was like he just came up to me and he was like he doesn't he never really like wanted to talk about like feelings. You know, it was just his way of like showing love was like, I will race you to the end of the gym and back. And that's all I said. And before I even finished, I just took off running. And I turned around and he's, you know, he's hobbling. Uh, part of the reason he, uh, he wasn't in the military anymore is he had got drunk when he went to go pick up a private and bring him back to base. And on the way back, they got in a car accident and that private died. And so he was discharged from the military. And he was like, from what I hear, he was never really the same after that. Um, and so like he's hobbling and then uh, I make it to the end and then he get, you know, and I start running back and then all of a sudden he like turned on boosters and d did not let me win. So I just lost again. And <clears throat> I was like, I don't know if you get this father thing, but, uh, and, but I was like so happy. Like I didn't even care about the race anymore. And like that was the type of person that my dad turned into when he was participating in this fellowship and doing the steps. Like he was willing to like put his body in pain to like make his family happy. He got a year sober and I don't know the truth. I don't know what really happened. I just know that my mom told me that that nobody like recognized him or like, you know, he no one called him or you know, whatever. That's probably a drunk dad telling my mom what you know or whatever. But he got drunk and then I didn't see him again until he was uh we were at a funeral like 10 years ago. So, but I always remembered that like, that was like the seed that my dad was a better dad when he was going to AA, right? And so I didn't even know that that was gonna be a seed for me. So now that I'm done with my Al-Anon story, I'm gonna move on to my story. Um, I, uh, so my first drink, like the first time I got drunk, uh, it was keg beer and it was uh, down by the river with a bunch of college guys. I was like 13 years old and it was like super cool. Like they just uh, like accepted. I mean today, I mean they probably would be in jail for that, but like back, you know, <clears throat> you know, whatever years, amount of years ago that was, it was just, I felt cool. Like uh, and the effect took hold of me and I just remember thinking to myself like I want to do this as much as I can all the time and I don't think it was because like I was going through like a severe amount of trauma or you know the uh, or that my childhood like my yeah my it was kind of dysfunctional my dad was drunk all the time and stuff but I didn't like feel, it felt normal like it wasn't like you know I looked at other kids and I'm like I'm different than other kids and and I feel restless and irritable or you know not really connect like that came later probably more in my like 20s than it did when I was a kid um, but I never really did good at school and and they would at like even in first grade they'd give me this 
I'd have to bring home a piece of red construction paper to tell my mom that I behaved that day. And then I found the red construction paper. And so I started cutting my own, you know, and bringing it home and showing it to her. And then when we did the parent-teacher conference, she's like, what is going on? <laughs> uh, and then even in high school, like when I started drinking a lot more and stuff, I just, I, I just don't do well in the memorization kind of settings and test taking and stuff. I, you know, they would say things like he has so much potential, you know, like Jeff was talking about. And, and I kind of like, I didn't even know what that word meant either. And I was just like, apparently I'm amazing, you know, everywhere I go. And, uh, and then I had a teacher who kind of, you know, I had all F's, I had one B in, in, uh, in, in science class, which was weird because I just wasn't really into science. And, and he told me, like my mom was like crying every time, like everywhere we went because of all the stuff that I was putting her through, through courts, juvenile detention, getting kicked out of school, and you know, like just literally everything. And then we met this teacher and he, he just said, he just told my mom, he's like, your, your boy, <laughs> your son's different. And he's just, he's just not like a, like a traditional student. He's gonna go through a lot of crap, but he's gonna end up being a leader one day. And even if he was lying his ass off, right? My mom like was like tears of joy. And that was like the epitome of my childhood with my mom, single mom raising boys. She just wanted so much for us to like succeed. And she worked overnights and never really saw us. And it was just, uh, we were just running amok to the point where we're in our trailer, we were drinking all the time. And she was there and she was just like, as long as the cops don't show up. That's the only rule. Like if before it was just like, make sure you get up and make your bed, you know, do good in school to the, you know, in high school is like, just, I don't want the cops to show up, you know? And so, uh, and if you go to jail, I'm not bailing you out. Those were like the two, two rules. And the last time that I like out in there, I had stole a U-Haul uh, by Chumley's in Moorhead and robbed uh, you know, uh, some, this company that I was working for that was actually all people in AA worked at, right? That's where I met, that's how I got the job. Like the owner, the workers all go into this Northern Plains group on Tuesday nights and that's how I got the job. And I stole this U-Haul and I go uh, and start breaking into buildings. Somehow I end up at the, that job and I, I take the laptops and the, the copy machines and, and I even took the dilly bars out of the freezer and like threw it in the back of this U-Haul and I was gonna go sell it on the black market. <clears throat> and I was like, I don't know where that is. Uh, <laughs> I bet it's in Minneapolis. And so I just started driving to Minneapolis to find the black market. And uh, I made it to Detroit Lakes and got a hotel and I passed out, blacked out and uh, you know, woke up and I could smell the cigarette butts and the alcohol before I even opened my eyes and that just, you know, there's keys, and I was, and I didn't really, couldn't remember, and then it all pieced together when I opened the door, and I saw an Isuzu U-Haul truck or whatever, and opened up the back, and there's just a bunch of stolen goods in there, and, and I did it again. Like, I just, like, real Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde type stuff, where, um, like, I would never, would, I was doing things I would never even do, like, I wouldn't do sober, right? Like, that was kind of like, the beginning for me is that I do some crazy stuff when I'm drunk. And I just wanna say that like the stuff I did when, I'm, when I was drunk doesn't make me an alcoholic. But it was the beginning for me to like see that I'm different, right? 
And, uh, and so I do what <clears throat> I think all good felons do, <laughs> is I ran home to my mom's house and she, I parked the U-Haul like down the road and I went to her house and she was like, how did you get here? And I was like, don't worry about it. And then the cop showed up doing the good cop, bad cop thing. And then they you know, didn't have enough evidence and they left. And, and so my mom got me a bus ticket to go to Alabama to go stay at my grandma's house. And then I was gonna go to Mexico, right? <clears throat> and that, that was like, this is, uh, you know, the plan, seven years. That was like the statute of limitations was seven years, but the problem was is that like by the time I was gonna get there, I was gonna have warrants out and you had to have a passport and you had all this stuff and I would've just got picked up and brought back and, and that was like my intro, like very shortly after I came to AA, right? Like I showed up, you were graceful to me, you brought me to meetings, you let me sleep on couches, right? You helped me get jobs, you did all these really super nice things for me and then I robbed you and I lied to you and I stole from you and I manipulated you and so most of my four-step consisted with AA members, right? It wasn't, there was a lot of stuff that happened prior but I came to AA when I was like 20, right? And so a, a, most of my drinking happened between 20 and when I sobered up when I was 31 so it was just a wreck of going through there. And when I came back, I definitely was not going to the Northern Plains group, right? <laughs> they know who I am. I'm gonna go to meetings where they don't know who I am, and I can, you know, essentially, I was going then I could be whoever I wanted to be, but then I, in my head, I justified it as like, they'll treat me like a human being, you know, if I go to a meeting that they don't know me. And <clears throat> I drank, a little bit longer, you know, like another week or so, and then I woke up in this apartment, and I was not on the lease, and I was being evicted, and the rooms were like rooms of trash and clo dirty clothes, and I was working at a, at a tech firm, and like every time, I wasn't showering anymore, I wasn't shaving, I wasn't like, I mean, essentially I was wearing a suit and never showered, is like where I was going with my sales career. And to the point where people were like, man, who farted? No one did. It was me. I like smelt that bad. So like I had to like adjust to be like, oh, it was me, whoever, you know, whoever smelt the Delta, you know, and try to just like play it off. And I was just like this chameleon of darkness, like just trying to like use humor to like navigate through life. And, and you know, they fired me <laughs> for my drinking and uh, I, got drunk that night and that was the last time that I drank and I woke up in my in this naked with a cigarette butt and a beer right and the all my clothes had been worn for three months four months not washed in that room beer cans everywhere cigarette butts on the floor even outside the balcony I lived on the third floor there's like urine all over the snow and beer cans and stuff like you know, I've heard some people like they like <laughs> they're like, yeah, I hated trash day because of all the clinking of the bottles and stuff like that. I really had no shame. I did not care. I just threw them off the balcony and people would, you know, call like cops would show up and they'd be like, you got to slow down. And, you know, roommates would just not they just couldn't take. So <clears throat> but in the other room, the room that I didn't use that I was being evicted from, there was a big book in the center of the room. Right, and every time I drank and I went to the bathroom and I looked over, I always saw it. 
And it made me so angry every time I saw it, right? But I did nothing about it. It's like have, it, was, it felt like having a pebble in my shoe, you know what I mean? And just like not doing anything about it and just dealing with, you know what I mean? Just walking with the pebble. And so the day, that day came and I picked up and I read the doctor's opinion and, you know, the doctor's opinion is not really an emotional, you know, writing, but as I'm reading it, I'm just like bawling because it's telling me what's wrong with me, right? It was talking about how I have this phenomenon of craving and that like, you know, I'm not the guy that can just like, like just not get drunk. Right, if the goal is to not get drunk, I'm never going to achieve it because alcohol hits my body and I have this abnormal reaction to it, right? Kind of like Jeff talked about with like the bananas yesterday, right? Like that makes sense to me and we laugh about it, right? But it's like crazy when you replace it with alcohol, the, the lengths that I go to try and control and enjoy my drinking. Um, and so I read it and then I, made, I walked over to, um, I lived by the bowler in South Fargo and I was walking and it's fun, it's, not, it's crazy how fast that obsession of the mind can twist, like, like those mental blank spots and those mental twists that happen. Because from the time of crying reading through the doctor's opinion to walking to the payphone to call someone for help, I had convinced myself to go to the bowler and get drunk, right? One last time. The call will be a lot easier if I have a few beers in me, right? Maybe I'm overreacting, right? I just need to get a girlfriend, get my kids back, get a car, right? Like I just need to like manage better. And then this little thought popped in my head. It was like, why don't you put an ounce into your recovery as you do into drinking and see what happens, right? I realized that that verbiage is in the back of the book in one of the stories. I did not know that at the time. I thought God himself, right? <laughs> Which probably did. Uh, and so I had 50 cents in my pocket and I just happened to know a guy's number in AA and I called him and he's seen it all. For the, those years between 2001 and 2013, he'd seen me come back, get sober, leave, get drunk, steal, lie, like he'd seen it all. And he was the only one I was comfortable enough to call at that moment because he, he, he never like, he never like, I mean, he probably judged me, but he never like led with it. Like he was always, he would like bust my balls a little bit about stuff, but then he would help me. You know what I mean? And it wasn't like in an authoritarian way. It was just more like brothers, like hard, tough love kind of whatever. And so I call Andre and I'm like, hey, dude, can you uh, come pick me up? And uh, um, I, I want to get sober again. I promise. And I'm making all these promises, these empty promises. I'm, I'm not going to talk to any new girls, right? I'm going to go to a meeting every day. I'm going to go to treatment, like all this stuff. And he was like, you don't have to, like, let's just, you know, let's just do recovery. And I was like, all right, will you come pick me up? And he's like, no. And I was like, what an ass, right? I, I just threw myself out there. 
<clears throat> and he was like, uh, what I didn't realize is Andre was like 10 years sober, and it's pretty common even at 10 years sober to not have a driver's license because of DUIs in the past. So he couldn't come get me. And so he was like, but you can come to my house. And I'm like, where do you live? And he lived by the airport in North Fargo, and I was by the bowler in South Fargo. And I was like, this is a lot of ounce of effort just to get some help. And I start walking, and by like halfway there, my, like, my thighs are bleeding. Because it was like a two and a half hour walk to get there. And I get there and knock on the door. He's not even home. And I, man, like, it's like the racy mind and resentments and anger and all that stuff, like, and the entitlement that comes with, like, my ego, where it was just like, he knows I was going to be here. This is what always happened. People say they're going to help you, and then they don't show up, which is not true. That's literally never happened to me. But in my head, it happens every day, right? The taking advantage of me. He was just telling me what he wanted to hear. And then as I'm like, you know, going through my head, like convincing myself to leave. Andre comes riding his bike around the corner, and he's like a young Native American, long hair, and it was like Baywatch, right? And I was just like so happy. He wasn't even wearing shoes on his bike and stuff. He was just like so content. If you've ever met Andre, he's just con he just seems content all the time, right? Uh, and he comes, and then he like walks up the steps. I'm sitting on the steps. It's like 95 degrees outside. I just walked two and a half hours. I'm overweight, right? Like, I want a Diet Coke and a donut. You know what I mean? Like, I am. And he just, like, walks by me, and he's like, oh, you could have went in the house and waited. And I was like, and then he patted me on the head and then, like, walked in. And I was like, I do not like this kid, right? And I'm not going to go in some person's house when I've been in jail for burglary three times, right? And I walk in there, and he was like, man, you stink. And I was like, this is dumb. I don't even know why I'm here. And he was like, if you, how about you go take a shower? There's a razor in there. There's some, I can get you some clothes. And I look at Andre, and Andre's like half my size. I was like, man, I'm going to put on your shirt. I'm going to look like I shop at Baby Gap, right? <laughs> and he, <laughs> he's like, no, I have guys sleep on my couch all the time. I got a bunch of clothes or whatever. And, and so I get, you know, and then he just does what we do. He just, like, he didn't make a big deal about it. If anything, I just started telling him my story, and he wasn't impressed at all, right? It was just like, you know, if I go to church and tell half my stuff or whatever, people are like, he's going to hell, you know? <laughs> I'm pretty sure there's no amount of grace. <laughs> uh, but I go to AA, like, for instance, I, when I got my license back, and I, uh, uh, I was, like, six months sober, I went to my boss at this tech company that I worked at, and I was just like, Justin, you'll never guess what happened today. And he was like, you know, doing his keyboard thing, not really looking at me or giving me attention. And I was like, I got my driver's license today. And then he stops, and he looks at me, and he was like, I've had mine since I was 16. <laughs> and I was like, I'm going to AA. And so I went to AA, and I told everyone, they like got standing ovations and stuff. You know, it was like, I, I belong here, and so, and I'm an oversharer, so some of that stuff happens in public, and people are just like, oh my god, you know, uh, and so I, when I got my license, like, let me tell you a quick story, when, my story consists of, I don't believe that the fellowship can keep, keep you sober, but they are a huge activator to getting you, so, like, getting you to the point of surrender and recovery, and going through the steps and stuff like that. I don't think I would have done it if I wouldn't have heard the stories in the fellowship of people and their surrenders, right? And, and sponsorship and, and being of service. Like when Cody talked about the ugly grace earlier, it's not that grace is ugly. It's literally the most beautiful thing we can do in AA. 
but sometimes the work sucks, right? It feels ugly having to answer the phone at 2 o'clock in the morning. It feels ugly to have to, like, go out of your way before you're supposed to be at work to give a new guy a ride to work, you know? Some of the stuff that we do here is not being done out there, and, and, and us doing it here is actually what sets us apart as a spiritual organization, right? Not asking for anything in return, just giving rides. And Fred, I met, I met Fred at a meeting, and, and I had I just got a job. I lived out in Horace. I was working in West Fargo. I didn't even know how I was going to get back and forth to work, let alone be an outside sales guy to get all to my appointments and stuff. And I, I said something at a meeting, and Fred's like, well, I'll pick you up tomorrow and bring you to work. So he's going to drive from South Fargo to Horace, bring me to work, and then go to work. And then after work, he was going to pick me up, bring me back out to Horace, and then he was going to go home. That was 44 miles for him, right? And so on the way home of the second day, I was like, man, I am so grateful. And I have this like weird ego where I don't like asking for help, right? It's probably not that weird. But I, on the way home, I was like, Fred, I am, I am so appreciative of you helping me get back and forth to work. I'm trying to set the tone for tomorrow to ask him to give me a ride tomorrow. And I was like, that is a nice shirt, you know. <clears throat> and I was like, so what are you doing tomorrow, Fred? And he was like, apparently I'm coming to pick you up because that's what you're like setting it up for. And I was like, oh, I mean, if, you're, if it's not too much trouble, I'll give you money, you know, pay for gas. And he's like, no, don't worry about it. And then he just kind of cut to the chase and he was just like, until something comes up, how about I just pick you up in the mornings and give you a ride to work and then I'll pick you up after work. And that was like, he did that for like three months, Monday through Friday. And the day that he couldn't do it anymore was the same day that I got a license in a car, right? I don't know where I'd be today if Fred wouldn't have done that. You know, that was the fellowship, right? Someone in the fellowship who had been through the steps and was like practicing those principles. And, <clears throat> and then when I got my license, man, because of all the rides that I had gotten, like it just created this like action loyalty to like give rides to everyone. Like I was at meetings being like, you need a ride? Do you need to go anywhere? I need to go to Bismarck. I got you, right? <laughs> and it was just like, <clears throat> and through sponsorship and going like through the steps and stuff, one of the things that I found that is like the most spiritual thing that I think that we can do in the rooms of AA is, is pivot, right? Not just like in life, but like in the circles, you know? You see them happen like at the meetings, the little circles, the clicks you know, that happen at the meetings, you hang out with your friends, or you got some guys that are looking for sponsees, or they're talking to all the new guys. But there always seems to be like a guy who's kind of outside that circle that's like wants to be in the circle, but too prideful to ask, and no one's really noticing it. Like, <clears throat> I've seen more people like get sober and stay sober because one guy in there noticed them and just pivoted like, you know, a little bit to make that guy feel like he was included right? And there's like, he didn't say anything. He didn't really do anything. And there, that, I think that pivot is more important in our rooms than the, the speakers that we have, or like even like what kind of meeting function we have. Or, or I think sometimes we get really bent out of shape with like, you know, we have to have the right policies or the rules, or like we have to have a speaker meeting, or we have to have a big book study or whatever. But all of it, really doesn't matter if we're not doing stuff, right? Uh, I heard a, a preacher one time 
ask a guy, he was like, um, what, did, what, is, what did, when you read the Bible, what does uh, Jesus tell you to do, right? And he was like, well, I read this scripture and I learned it in Greek and I learned it in Hebrew and the context to this or whatever. And, and then that was his response. And he was like, yeah, but what did you do, right, with that information? Well, I told a guy about it, and you know, like it just seems to be, we get really technical on, on like making sure we do it the absolute right way or understand the, the, the word in the big book so much that we get so preoccupied with being right than we do with being of service, right? And I did the same thing. I was in assembly, I was the area chair or area institutions chair, I've been the GSR and stuff, and like, and I just get to a point where I just like, it's more about me being right and get my opinion across than it is to actually just be like, walk away from it and just go help somebody, right? I'm not saying that's everyone, like that, that was my battle, right? And then I noticed in me, like I'm just, I really enjoy like just talking to new people. That's like, I think that's just like my, my thing, right? And, and through that, like, I, my, you know, Jeff sponsored me most of my sobriety and, and as we were going through the steps, like I kind of just did this like two-step thing where I was like always practicing step 12, right? As I was going through the steps, going through one, doing 12, going through two, doing 12, right? And, and so like before I even had my car, um, how much time I got? Okay. Uh, before I even had my car and Fred was giving me rides back and forth, uh, I'd, we'd go to meetings every once in a while and I was at a meeting and this guy was like, I just got done sharing, right? And like, I'm like at me, like I just think I'm just like amazing, like, you know, sharing and like, you know, the promises are on page and accept, you know, whatever. <clears throat> and this guy comes up to me, he's got his hat cocked, right? He's got like a chain wallet, he's wearing a jersey, pretty much straight out of treatment, uh, comes up to me, he's like, yo, bro, <laughs> I heard what you had to say in that meeting, and I think you should sponsor me. And I was like, I'm like three months sober, probably less than that. And I was just like, and I just got done talking uh, with my sponsor about like being a service at the meetings. And I was like, oh, yeah, of course I will, you know, fine, sir. Uh, <laughs> We're, I, I'll, uh, you know, we'll, we'll go to three meetings a week and I'll, we'll meet once a week and go through the steps and, and this and that. And he was like, all right, cool. And then we exchanged numbers and then we walked away. And, and uh, like, he was like, oh, by the way, I need a, if you could pick me up for a meeting tomorrow, that'd be great, right? And I was like, oh, I got you, bro, right? And now I'm like anxious and I have no idea how I'm gonna pick this guy up and I'm gonna completely plummet my first opportunity at sponsorship. So I go in and tell my sponsor and I'm like, I was like, dude, I uh, picked up a sponsee. And he was like, are you crazy? <laughs> and I was like, what? He was like, when I said be of service, I meant like vacuum the meeting, you know? You don't even have a car. And I was like, yeah, I know, isn't that crazy? <laughs> And so then on the, on, the, uh, on the way to work the next day, I was just like, I was like, hey, Fred, what are you doing tonight? And he was like, uh, I don't know. I was like, after you pick me up from work, we should go to a meeting. And he was just like, oh, okay, well, yeah, cool. I was like, cool. And so then he picks me up after work and then we're on our way to the meeting and I was like, hey, Fred, 
I met this dude the other day, <laughs> and we should like stop by and pick him up. And that was like my whole first year, like you know, six months of sponsoring people was like, I got to sponsor people because you guys were like super graceful to like help me sponsor people. And then I meet with my sponsor and then regurgitate, you know. And now I got like three or four guys, and then I'm like basically going through the book three, four times every week and stuff. And um, and it was like. I just, it was like, for me, the like, idle hands were like the devil's playground, so I just like got super busy in AA, going to meetings and being in committees and becoming part of the service structure and uh, being sponsored and sponsoring other guys. Like, I just like, my whole life was about AA. And I, I was to the point where it was like, it's gonna have to be like this for the rest of my life because I get any idle time or, you know what I mean? I just make really bad decisions in my head sober. And so <clears throat> I met, uh, I was, I did, I, uh, I met a girl when, like uh, when I was four years sober and you know, I have, I have kids or whatever, they're like in their 20s and like 13, right? I'm like done having kids and I meet her and then we, uh, now I have a two-year-old little girl and I've had all boys prior to that. And like raising boys was just like, you just mean mug them and they stop doing what they're doing, right? My little girl, when I look at her and she's doing something that she's not supposed to be doing, I mean mug her, she mean mugs me back. <laughs> I think the only reason she knows to say I'm sorry is because daddy says I'm sorry when she mean mugs me back. I'm like, sorry. I <clears throat> and her words, like this morning I made her cereal and she said, thank you, you know? And I'm just like, man, like I think about that time when I woke up in the hotel room, right, with the stolen laptops and stuff, or the time I was, my mug shots were all over Valley News Live and stuff, and like having a house with like four kids and in a relationship with my fiance, like, in a neighborhood of people that I used to rob back in the day. Um, man, I just, like, it makes me think about, like, how grateful I am to where I'm at today because there was people in this, in our rooms that they could have not pivoted that first meeting I came back. My first meeting I went back to was the Northern Plains Group. And I know which ones were working at that company because they're all in construction and they're all wearing green, you know, and I can see them. And so I'm like sweating and anxious at this meeting. And, uh, and so I'm like flanking them, you know, like trying to like stay away from them, like a, like a mosh pit at a Rob Zombie conference, you know? And then they like flanked me and then Jeff came, the owner came up to me and he just, he just, he could, man, he could have said a thousand different things that would have ruined my opportunity, right? And he, looked at me, he came up to me, and he gave me a hug, and he told me he was really happy to see me. This is a guy I robbed, who gave me a job like three times in AA, right? And I robbed him and, and police, and I got felonies and all that stuff, and he came up to me, and he said he was glad to see me and gave me a hug. The next person I didn't want to see was my, my, uh, my third, well, now he's 13, his mom. I met her there. And when I came back, she was engaged to another guy who was my friend, you know, and they're all going to the meeting. And I was like, did you guys not know I was going to come back to this meeting? You know, <laughs> did not even wait, you know. Uh, 
<clears throat> and it was just really awkward. And then she came up to me and she started crying. And she's like, I can't wait for Brecken to see you. And then her fiance came up. And uh, he, I mean, he, he's actually since passed away. He overdosed and died. But um, she's been through a lot. Like so much with a dad who just doesn't take, you know, takes off all the time to a, she was engaged to a guy that was, you know, in a rough patch, overdosed and died and she's raising kids by herself. And, you know, one of the lessons that I, <clears throat> my, when I was, I, I'm just so grateful that I was sponsored through all of it because in my head, I'm like, well, just let me see my kid. Like, give me my kid. That'll fix it, you know. Uh, and I was making like good money and stuff and, and, and I was going to get an attorney and, you know, take her to court. And then my sponsor was like, you know, basically it was just like, that's not how we do things anymore. You know? And I was like, eh, you don't get it. Right. You've always been married. You know, you've always had your kids, you're president of a company, right? You don't really get it. And, you know, through like multiple conversations, it got to a point where it was just like, why don't you just treat her like you treat your sponsees or treat your clients, right? And I'm like, why would I do that? And in my head, it was like, because she has the most precious item in your life and you treat people with money better than you treat her, you know? And it's kind of like the whole idea of like, we pay oil truck drivers more than school bus drivers, right? Like, it was our precious cargo. And I'm like, being a dick about it. Uh, and so I was like, I guess if I have a good idea, I'll give you a call, <laughs> you know, or, and he was like, oh, probably a good idea because you got really crappy ideas. And, and so one night I was, it was snowing like crazy and I just mentally like put myself in her shoes, not on purpose. It just kind of happened. And I realized she's got a driveway and she's got a, you know, at the time, it was nine years ago and my son's 13. So like, you know, five or so, whatever that, and, uh, I'm not allowed to see him and, She's got a new baby, and that, and he was gone, and and I, I just had this thought. I was like, I should go over there and shovel her driveway, and I was like, that is a great idea. I cannot wait to tell the Jeff. <laughs> I have good ideas, and I'm like, hey, Jeff, I'm gonna go over and shovel her driveway, and he was, and uh, he was like, it was just weird. I think it was weird for him to hear me have like an actual good idea, like it was a pause. And then he he proceeded to tell me he was like just make sure you like this isn't about them Right, this is about you right like don't post it on Facebook that you're shoveling your ex's driveway Right, and I was like, how did he know? <laughs> like, like I already plotted it men want to be me, you know <clears throat> women want me, you know, I, and I get over there and I start shoveling the driveway and I'm like three scoops in and it happened, right? That ego like shows up even when you're like trying to be like of service, you know, and I just started thinking like, I'm feeling good. I feel amazing. I cannot wait to tell people about this, right? Uh, and she looks out the window and she sees me and I'm, now I'm shoveling faster, right? And then she like lets up the blinds and turns the light off. And I was cr like, I was like, this isn't even my goddamn driveway. Why am I here? Right? You should be, if I saw someone outside shoveling my driveway, I'd throw my car hearts on and get out there and like help them. And you're inside, you know, like it just told like total, you know, redirection with my ego. And, you know, I, and I'm upset. Like I call, uh, it was, either, I don't really remember if it was Jeff or Fred, but I, I called one of those guys and I was, and they just rem like reminded me that like it's not a like it's not about them, right? 
Like it's about me and the things that I have to do if I want to stay sober. And part of my amends to her was doing things like that. And even in my amends process, when I know her, I'm completely corrupt and like a madman and manipulative and like will do whatever I can to make everything about me, I will make it about me, right? And what they're saying is like making it about me and, and, and being humble, right? And those, like that's, and so I like, I hang up the phone, I start shoveling the driveway, and I'm thinking in my head she's gonna call the cops, right? Because I just showed up to her house with a shovel, you know? Um, and I finish the driveway and I leave, and I don't even really feel like, I don't, I don't know what, like, your experience of doing service, st like, stuff like that for other people, but I don't feel amazing. It feels really inconvenient and ugly, right? And I don't always, like, want to do it, you know? Uh, and, and, and my motive was is that I wanted to see my kid, right? And then halfway through it, it just turned into just doing the job, right? Without expectation. Right? So like when I'm getting helped by other people, I'm like, oh, it's super cool that they're not expecting anything in return. And then I do it and I'm like, I'm expecting everything. Right? And so <clears throat> I leave, I go home, I don't call her, I don't text her, I don't make it about, you know, like, you know, look at what I did for you, that kind of financial, you know, service abuse that, that I tend to do to others. Like if I do this for you, like it's not just a for-profit thing, it's a manipulation thing, right? And so she, she calls me like a week later and she says, she's like, Adam, I need to go into work and I need a babysitter. Would you like to babysit your son? And I, I was like, I'm gonna have to call you back, right? Hang up the phone and I just get like super upset, make some calls. I'm like, she called me and said, do you wanna babysit your son? I'm his father. Right? Like, you don't say that, right? And just made a big deal. I was willing to plant my flag on one word, right, with her. And that was what it was pointed out to me. It was like, you're willing to sacrifice everything because of one word that she said to you. You're willing to, like, all the work, everything, give up the, ben like, the blessings God himself is, like, helping you get because one human being said a word that you didn't like. Who are you making this about? And I'm like, well, I'm making it about him. Like, he needs a father. And, then, and they're like, nope, wrong answer. I was like, well, I'm making it about her. She obviously needs help, right? And, and they're like, nope, wrong answer. I was like, well, who else is there in this scenario? Obviously, you <laughs> and they're like, you, because this is the type of stuff that you need to do to destroy and starve that selfish, inconsiderate, asshole ego that you are if you ever want a shot in being sober. And I was like, you apparently are not sober. <laughs> you know, like, you're not spot, like, just get mad. And I needed guys like that in my life, ones that were willing to tell me what I need to hear, right? And so I call her back and I was just like, hey, Leah, it'd be an honor to babysit my son. I couldn't resist. <laughs> and so she brought him over. He's like five, four, something like that. He just woke up Saturday morning, hair's all messed up. And He's wearing like onesie pajamas, right? And I'm like, I went and bought a Nintendo, right? Like they have Xboxes and all this stuff, but I like Nintendo, Zelda, Contra, right? And had an old TV and we were, I had a whole day planned out of like just doing old cool stuff, right? And, and I made them pancakes and on there I put like whipped cream and chocolate chips and like Heath bit bars and all this stuff. Like I went all out. I had no idea what I was doing. I just basically grabbed everything out of the cupboard and dumped it on there. 
And uh, he comes in and, he see, and, I, and I show him the pan, like the stack of pancakes. He's like rubbing his eye and then he's like patting himself, you know, like a dog. <laughs> and he like runs over to me and then she's just like, we're sitting at the table and I'm like, I got this, you know. And I, I don't know where she was at. Like she literally just left him with a five-time felon, you know what I mean, that like has ruined everyone's lives around him. She just like left her son with that man. It's probably what she was thinking. And so we're uh, eating pancakes, and he's like halfway through it, right? And you can see he's like starting to get the sugar sweats, you know, <laughs> looked like he was like in Mortal Kombat, and somebody finished, moved him, you know, just, <clears throat> and he, he was like, and he, as he's taking a bite, he's like, this cannot be good for my diabetes. And I was like, whoa! <laughs> I was like, I just killed my son, you know? And, and then I start, like, his mom's a nurse, and she saw we were eating pancakes, and I was, like, questioning her credentials at this time. And I call her, and I'm like, Leah, why would, we just ate a bunch of pancakes. She's got diabetes. Why didn't you tell me I have diabetes? And she was like, oh, my God, because he doesn't have diabetes. <laughs> I was like, uh, I'm new here. <laughs> I, uh, uh, and I'm like, why in the world would he have this morbid, like, type thought of, you know, why would he say he has diabetes? And then this was the moment, like through all, like I don't know if we all get to see God's handiwork through sponsorship and putting in the, you know what I mean? Like, like the end result of some things, right? We don't always get to see that. And like my icy heart towards Leah, like shedded away or like melted away at that moment when she told me that Brecken has a friend at school that nobody wants to be friends with, right? Because he's, I don't whatever the reason that kids aren't with friends, but be, one of the reasons is because he has diabetes and they think it's weird, right? So Brecken tells people that he also has diabetes and then sits at lunch with that kid. You know what I mean? And she did that without me, right? Like in my head, I'm like, he's gonna end up in prison or jail if I'm not there and he's gonna be corrupt and all this stuff. He needs a dad, which is, you know, a dad is very important, but she did, like she played both roles and she did be way better than I probably would have done in both roles, you know? And so it just kind of went away, like the idea of like taking her to court or any of that stuff. Like it just, I'm gonna do whatever I have to do to like make sure that she doesn't have to do anything. Right, to the point of I'll do all the pickups, I'll do all you know, the, the you know, paying for lunch, like all, everything, I'm gonna do all of it. And that was like, that was a little under nine years ago and he's been coming to my house every weekend for the next, for the, for the last nine years. You know? And it was all because I just pivoted in the direction of taking sponsor advice rather than making it about me and taking her to court. You know? Um, I, I'm way overpaid spirit, like blessing wise with my kids, with my job, with the people that I get to work with. I have like three, four people that are in AA that work on the same team as I do, right? A long time ago I heard like, don't, don't get into business with people in AA. And I'll tell you what, like I don't know where I would be if I, they weren't there. Like left unchecked, I can I'll, I could become a very corrupt business person, and having people in AA that you know that I can trust and tell me how it is, and you know be be willing to fight with them and then come back later and like make up with each other and like it's I I don't think we would be as successful as we are today if that didn't happen, and I'm just super 
like grateful for all of you, people in all over North Dakota that do the assemblies, that do the structure, that do the, the business meetings, that do all the back end work that nobody ever really gets to see and making it possible for new guys to get help at meetings, right? And sponsors to do their jobs and people to be willing to pivot in those meetings and make people feel included and feel that grace that feels ugly to us at times when we're doing it because of relapsing and slipping in and out from 2000 to 2013 and, and doing all the things that I did to people in AA, I should not be here today. My kids should not have their father. My daughter should probably not even exist, right? And because of you and because of the work that you do and the people personally to me, Jeff and Cody and uh, many in Fargo, I get the benefit of living the best life that I ever got. And you guys also helped me hit a bucket list item. I always wanted to speak at a conference with one of my heroes. And Jeff speaks all the time. And I always fantasize when I was relapsing of being up there and speaking, you know, at the same conference as him and then doing a way better job, which I didn't. But, <laughs> but it was cool. It was a bucket list thing. And you guys made that happen without even knowing it. God works in mysterious ways. And you are doing the work. So I appreciate you. I love you. Thank you.